This episode of With Love and Justice for All is brought to you by Bliss Books and Wine. Bliss Books and Wine is an independent black-owned bookstore for wine enthusiasts and book lovers. Listed as one of the black-owned bookstores in America that amplify the best in literature by OprahDaily.com, Bliss Books and Wine is your go-to for all your favorite titles, including ebooks and audiobooks. And when we buy from black-owned businesses, we are helping to create a world of racial equity. When ordering online, use the code 846BOOK for a 10% discount. That's 846-B-O-O-K for a 10% discount at blissbooksandwine.com. Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Welcome to Project Sanctus official podcast with Love and Justice for All. I'm Reverend Kelly Isola. I'm here with my partner in crime consciousness and co-creation, Reverend Ogan. And on With Love and Justice for All, we have conversations around embodied anti-racism, dismantling oppression, really all systems. I mean, we talk about patriarchy and capitalism and racism um, and how we dismantle, identifying them, how we dismantle them, foster liberation and what does that look like and how do we do that? We also um, often have a a special note or focus on um, the challenges that come up for spiritual seekers and, and spiritual communities. So before we get into any more, how are you doing, Ogan? You know, um, I'm beginning to question my life choices because <laughs> no, I'm, just I'm nothing major. I'm I'm here in Barbados, as as all our listeners know. I, I come for winter now, and I had I have a work opportunity back in the states that, for both professional and personal reasons, I said yes to. This means I'm going to be returning in a few days to the coldest of cold spells that is gripping the United States right now. So just when I thought I had gotten away from winter, winter said, hold, hold my hot chocolate. I'm coming back for you. And now, yeah. So if you're the praying kind, pray for me as I go get my brain cells frozen. Well, it's only for a few days though, right? Like it's it's only, yes. It's only for like four days, four days, five days. Um, and, but that's four or five days too much in terms of enduring winter. (laughs) You'll forgive me if I don't really have a whole lot of empathy. Um, I know I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get any empathy from that declaration from any of the listeners in in the Northern hemisphere, especially in the U S right now. Yeah. I've been sitting in minus two, minus four. Oh my God. And that's not with the wind chill. So Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, why would you need to be outside at this point? But, you, you know, that's, you don't. But again, some people have to be, um, as we talk about, you know, we, we said we talk about systems of oppression and thanks to capitalism, some people have to be outside right now. Yeah, I know. Going to work and getting yep. to work and doing all yep. the things. Yeah. So, well, I'll just, I'll know you'll be uh, with your hot cocoa and mittens and whatever, you'll be warm. And before you know it, you'll be back uh, at the beach. And Fingers we'll crossed. Jealous of you again. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, we always want to thank our listeners and our subscribers here in the United States. I think we've we've reached most every state in the union, uh, and over thirty countries around the world. People in Mexico and Algeria and um, England and France and South Africa and and and. If you want to join in our conversation, you can always message us on Facebook um, or Instagram. Our handle is at Get Our Holy On. You can also leave a message. We have a phone number, 413-438-4659, also known as 413-GET-HOLY. And today we are going to pick up on the conversation that we had in our last episode where we were talking about the beloved community. We called it part one. So we were very creative and call this beloved community part two. And we're talking about it because yesterday was the official holiday of Martin Luther King Jr. Actually, today is also National Day of Racial Healing, um, which we won't, you know, we're not going to go into detail about that. We have actually have an episode from last year about the National Day of Racial Healing 
And we wanted to uh, talk about the beloved community and what that really is. And it's not just a, you know, something easy and softer and kumbaya thing, but actually is real work and dive a little bit more into what Martin Luther King meant by that and the principles of, you know, living a beloved community and having that. But before we keep going, uh, Ogan has a few tidbits of interest for us. Yes. Uh, yes, we do. Um, just a reminder of our ongoing affinity groups every first and third Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Come join in um, challenging conversations to get you out of your comfort zone um, and into your, I guess, own personal uh, anti-racial healing. Your racial healing, not anti-racial healing. Racial healing. There you go. That's better. Uh we also launched our conscious anti-racism self-paced course. So if for some reason um, showing up in community and doing this work with others is not your speed, uh, we do recommend that. But also, if that's not your speed, we got you covered. Uh, conscious anti-racism part one is a self-paced course that we created. We got videos. There's different modules, including things like... Uh, um, beginning to create an anti-racist spirituality and some basics around decolonizing. So you're going to want to check that out. Um, Information is on our website, projectsanctus.com. And we have uh, what we call economic justice pricing plans. So there is a pricing plan that should meet your uh, budget. And if there isn't and you still want to get the program, please contact us. We'll figure out some way to work it out. Um, I'm also doing men's groups, uh, second and fourth Wednesday at 8 p.m. also on zoom so you can tune in from anywhere and i got a grief cohort coming up in february so if you want to do some grief work um, with some other folks who are also grieving and myself uh, you can join the grief cohort it's like five uh five sessions starting mid-february um, so information about the cohort and the men's group is on my um, personal website, revogenholder.com. Um, and we're really excited that starting next Monday on January 22nd, um, our 846 book club is reconvening with an amazing work called Hospicing Modernity, Facing Humanity's Wrongs and the Implications for Social activism um and we read a lot of books we do a lot of things and this book really stands out as i think the premier invitation into realizing that the way the world works right now is not sustainable and it's beginning to fail and not only is it beginning to fail it's it's failure of these systems especially the ones that are oppression based well basically most of the systems that make the world run are oppression based I'm like i was gonna say <laughs> do you know a system that's not uh you know uh, i mean sure you're right yes, fair point I um um uh they're 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 failing and so we can either go down with the ship or be conscious about how we shift ourselves personally and collectively to begin to usher in what's next so yes this book uh not for the faint of heart it is it is it really it really calls us in and calls us out um, so please join us as always, if you can't make all five sessions, that's all right. Drop in when you can, um, and support our, um, black bookstore sponsor, Bliss Books and Wine, um, and maybe get your book there if you can. So to sign up for the book group, again, projectsangus.com, click on the 846 book club tab. And we really, really hope to see you there. And as always, we do appreciate your support for all the work that we do that, and especially the services that we provide at no cost to you. If you would love to, we appreciate your donations and your generosity at projectsanctus.com slash donate. Uh, before we continue our beloved community conversation, just a few headlines that we wanted to um, get to. And the first one is the, you know, the Iowa caucus, caucus has ended and um, un, unsurprisingly, former President Trump won by a landslide. Um, but what was interesting was this article by the Religion News Service that talks about how evangelicals um, tend to 
vote along party lines and they follow they follow that party line vote more than they follow their faith um and since or rather in the lots of interviews conducted in the last eight years last four especially um we have many christian leaders who for example don't uh, agree with the former president trump on ethical grounds um and complain behind the scenes about him and disagree behind the scenes about him, but in front of others are supportive and encourage others to vote. Um, so it's fascinating that, you know, in case like that, um, evangelical Christians who, who really their thing is, it's, it's about your faith, right? Your, your belief, your deepening of your faith, you live in your faith um, out loud um, are willing to sort of put that aside when it comes to voting for someone who clearly does not exemplify their faith. Um, but mm. it's simply, you know, we're, we're Christian, we vote Republican, or we're evangelical, we vote Republican, no matter who's on the ticket. Um, so it, it, I don't know if that particularly means anything other than it's, it's good to know that now there's some uh, proof, some actual, um, yeah, reporting around the fact that, yeah, not all these folks are really as supportive of Trump as um, they claim to be, or even as we have made them out to be, because we've always said, yes, all the evangelicals who vote for Trump, well, yeah, they may, they may vote, but they kind of not fans. And I think there's only a matter of time before hopefully that turns into not voting. Um, well, what's, and what's interesting about Iowa is, um, you know, in this, this one article from Religion News um, that we're referencing is uh, um, that the, uh, there's a gentleman named Ryan Burge who teaches political science. He has a, he pastors a small Baptist church, but he's the, um, he's got a, a Substack um, that I follow that's called um, um, graphs about religion. So what he does is he tracks religion and in any way imaginable and possible in every religion. And what's fascinating about this Iowa um, um caucus and 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 um um you know following a party line you know based on faith or politics is what he's what and and i don't remember if it says much in the article but he but iowa is not um um it's not what it once was like there is no predominant religion in iowa like even when he breaks it down by state and so yeah. it's really, it's really, really is, there's actually more Catholics than anybody else in Iowa. Um, there's even a couple of counties in Iowa that the, the, the main religion in that county is Amish. Um, but okay. evangelicals don't actually play as big a role as people um, may think about Iowa. And it's the, the state has just changed. Um, it's not this bastion of Christian conservatism that, people may think or that it once was. Um, so it was really interesting to, to dive a little deeper into that. And that, um, you know, even the Bible Belt has moved, you know, I mean, it mm -hmm. kind of has its center in Mississippi. But then, you know, when you start looking at, at numbers and graphs that there isn't even, um, you know, the Bible Belt is, is, you know, more like a snake than a belt yeah. <laughs> in terms yeah. of its shape. Um, a snakeskin belt. Right. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, just so it's just, I guess, you know, for me in, in looking at it and, and listening to, you know, about um, the Republican Party and evangelicals in Iowa, it really does, you know, in Ryan Burgess' work, it really does remind me that, you know, things are not what you may think they are. You know, yeah. they don't, things don't, you know, you got to look behind the curtain. Yes. Speaking of looking behind the curtain and people using their faith to do horrible things, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you like yeah. that? Like that transition? Um, yes. So a while back, he um, 
as he was addressing his troops or addressing the nation of Israel, he used a Bible verse, a fairly, I don't know, obscure is the right word. Like you, you need to be a bit of a Bible monk to remember this story. Um, but the verse is now being um, thought to be um, inspiring the Israeli troops to really commit atrocities because as, um, as they are doing their, their killings, um, they, they talk about um, wiping out the seed of Amalek. So brief, brief Bible backstory um, in the book of Samuel for Samuel, um, Saul was commanded um, to go kill the um, um, Amalekites. Yeah, the Amalekites. So, um, and the Amalekites were, big. so you have to understand again, rewind back, we're talking like Bronze Age tribes. So you've got the Israelites and you have all these other tribes that are existing. And basically according to Hebrew theology and their belief system, God promised them this land and the land that we, you know, knows Israel and Palestine now, God promised them this land and they went in and, you know, committed a lot of killings in order to get that land. Don't let anyone ever tell you that history doesn't repeat itself. Anyway, so so that happened. Even scripturally, like that's not the first story in scripture no, where, not, uh, you know, God commands someone to go into a place and kill everybody. Kill the people. Yep. Right. So Joshua, the same thing. Yes. So Saul went in to follow God's command. God's command was very clear. And I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So basically God's saying, like, raise the place. Like, yep. don't let any living thing survive. And uh, Saul went in and basically killed all the people. He kept the king alive and kept the animals and livestock alive because, you know, got to feed an army, you know, animals were currency basically. So he's like, oh, we can, we can get us some treasures here. And he did not do that, which was technically disobeying God. And Samuel the prophet said, you disobeyed God. So we withdraw our support for you as king, <laughs> uh, me and God. So th that was the whole, just the story. So now, uh, Fast forward to now, and Benjamin Netanyahu gave a speech where he in where he he invited his his stories and his troops because he says uh, um, he invited them to remember what Amalek has done to you, and we do remember. So now the troops are believing that by going in and killing all these Palestinians, they're fulfilling some sort of biblical, I don't know, directive. Uh, to to wipe out the seed of Amalek. So all of that to simply say, what the actual hell that, you know, yeah. someone of a, a supposedly sound mind and body is, is using this biblical verse to condone, to justify the genocide. And could you please stop? Because it's given bad Bible vibes and also it's just wrong. DeSantis is behind it. So, wait, wait, um, what do you mean, DeSantis is behind it? What are you saying? He's, DeSantis has said that we need to support Israel and every word in oh, private. Gotcha. And Andy says they've got to be able to finish the job. Um, really? And as we know, to be fair, the political support for Israel is very bipartisan, unfortunately. Yes. There are, there are dissenting voices, of course, pretty much, I think, just within the Democratic Party. But this unconditional support. I mean, if this is the thing that causes Biden to lose enough votes for Trump to be reelected, like this is <sighs> anyways. Um, for the secretary of state, Blinken, um, you know, on one hand, out of one side of his neck says, uh, you know, the death toll is far too high. And then on the other side of his neck, you know, reiterating the U.S.'s support for Israel. Yes. I'm like, uh, Yeah. And, and, and support for Israel to make sure that October 7th never happens again. 
Well, it's not like it ever stopped. I was, I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, this goes way back and still moves forward. Um, I said a thing recently, which is like, if when I'm surfing the web, I can select which browser cookies I want to spy on me. I should be able to, when I pay my taxes, uh, say, I don't want my taxes to be used to build weapons that are killing the Palestinian children, because that's basically right. what a lot of our tax dollars is going towards funding the military. So can I can I use my taxes just for paving the roads and, you know, supporting the public school system? I don't want I don't want my war portion of my tax to be used for that purpose. Put that to other use. I feel we should I don't think that should be hard when we file our taxes. Check the boxes. Yeah. I You know, here's 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 check. Check if you don't want your taxes to be used for the following reasons. I think I think we should start a campaign for that. Okay. We have to itemize our taxes. You all itemize what my taxes are going to be used for. <laughs> <laughs> Would be interesting to see how that plays out. Exactly, exactly. Um, and last but not least, something that we said a while back, uh, you know, this world would be just a better place if everyone listened to us more often. Uh, one of the things we said a while back... <laughs> Well, not just said, but I've said it on numerous occasions in numerous places. Yes, we both both said it, that, you know, DEI programs are not the be-all and end-all of of transforming the racial inequities or not just the racial inequities, any inequities. Um, And now we're in a place where partially because of the, the, we're realizing one, they're not working, in in a lot of corporations and businesses because they're not they, they they were kind of put in there as an attempt for a quick fix and there's no quick fix in any of this but yeah. also what's happening because of the severe pushback from people um and we most likely know what those people look like because it's a fair pushback a lot of companies are now divesting themselves from these DEI programs and scaling them back and in some cases just getting rid of them all together and moving people who are like, you know, this is our DEI person staff. Now we're moving you to a, another position. There's actually a great um, um, podcast to listen to. Do you remember Audie Cornish from NPR? She works for yeah. CNN now. Like one of her latest episodes is, is on this very matter um, about how because of... of a lot of the lawsuits are being filed um, because people don't agree with DEI programs or even the DEI approach. Um, yeah, a lot of companies, corporations, organizations are, are scaling back. And one of the people she interviewed is like, the companies are like, we, we in principle still want to do this work. So can you send it to us in a way that doesn't mention race? <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> Okay, we'll try. Um, but but the her guest, I forgot the guest name, but that's what they're doing now. They're like reworking a lot of their DEI content and curriculum to not make it so pointed about about race or uh, gender, um, which I think then why that defeats the whole purpose. But but you know, here we are, here we are. So again, that's why we have our own self-based program, Conscious Anti-Racism, if you want to still do the work <laughs> um, in the comfort and the secrecy of your own home. There you go. Yeah, so I, I do want to add a little caveat to that is that absolutely, it's, a, it's self-paced, it's for you to do. And one of the, the challenges with dismantling uh, systems of oppression is that it's not a solitary venture. It is, it has to have, you know, the communal aspect to it. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I've always been surprised at the number of folks, mostly white folks who, you know, read something like my grandmother's hands, you know, and I'll do it on my own. When the whole purpose of the book is to be doing it with others. Yeah, that's um, like saying I'm going to get good at relationships, but I'm never going to date anybody. Right. So I'm not so I'm very excited about our, you know, this self-paced and it's not there's you always need the communal piece, you know, to it. And that's why you show up to our anti-racism. Yes, that's what the affinity groups, groups are for. The, the affinity um, groups. 
Yes. So there you go. We got you covered on both ends, people. Yes. Well, because the DEI thing, you can learn as as much cognitive information as you want from DEI programs, but that's all it is. It doesn't shift culture. It doesn't, it doesn't point to, you know, the unconscious unexamined assumptions, the, you know, our own, um, you know, implicit biases. It doesn't, it doesn't surface any of that so that we can unpack it and, you know, and, and feel badly about it and, yeah. and, you know, get uncomfortable and go, oh, you know, and learn how to, you know, to shift what I'm doing. But anyway, uh, it's a well, soapbox for me. Um, that's, that's okay. That's what soapboxes are for. And speaking of shifting culture, let's get into beloved community. Um, yes. So if you missed uh, part one of this, um, just head on back to wherever you're listening, platform you're listening to this on and go back and uh, listen to what we covered in part one. Um, we covered, we, we talked about the six principles or we set up the six, six principles um, of beloved community and of nonviolence. Um, we only covered week, three. Yeah, last week we covered nonviolence is, is a way of life for courageous people that it seeks to win friendship and understanding and that it seeks to defeat injustice or evil, not people. Um, right. and, and I remember last week we talked about that. That last one is the one that I think probably I'll have to struggle with because we see the people doing the injustice and the evil. And therefore we want to stop the people forgetting that they are simply the embodiment of a system and yeah. if we stop that individual, there will always be more individuals as long as the system persists. Um, yeah. the, you know, we, we, we've talked about Trump being in power wasn't because he brought anything new to the table. He just said all the things out loud that were already existing in culture and in consciousness. And people were like, right. oh, look, someone actually brave slash foolhardy enough to say the things out loud. Let's put him in charge. And because we really feel this way, but it wasn't okay for us to say it out loud before. Now he's given us permission to say it and do it and be the injustice and the evil. So yeah, wasn't a new thing. It was always there. It continues to be there. So let's not all be entirely surprised if he gets reelected and let that be really this invitation for us to realize that our work is far from being done. And part of the work is, yes, doing things like um, following and living these principles of nonviolence to shift consciousness, shift community, um, and, and create, uh, you know, systems of equity. So um, can we jump into principle four? Yeah, well, uh, just a couple things, though, yeah. I, I wanted to to mention is that in terms of the beloved community, and I said this last episode, but I, I just can't help myself um, to kind of drive home what it really means and what I, what the beloved community, what that what that term means, and um, you know how how you be that and how you do that. And what I have found in in a lot of spiritual communities is that. It, it's really something kind of aspirational and like this, you know, almost, you know, a little too kumbaya um, because it is about love. Um, you know, it is, it is, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. hit when he, he would talk about love, but he didn't talk about love like it's this pink frosting feel good thing that it's actually about resistance that is actually about one of my favorite things. I think it's from, I don't remember which principle, but about being, um, I think it's from the first principle, but about being aggressive. I love the word aggressive because we shy away from it and we think aggressive means violent and it doesn't, uh, it could, but not in this context, but to be aggressive spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And for me, that's, that's love, right? And there's with love, there's, you know, it had it's love and power go hand in hand, you know, you kind of need them both. So, um, so this beloved community was about something very realistic that can be attained by people that are really committed to and trained in the philosophy and methods of nonviolence. Um, and again, nonviolence is also one of those words that 
you know, no, I'll just sit here and I'll be kind or I'll be nice. And that's, and, and yet the practice of nonviolence can get, um, can get messy. Um, and because you're bumping up against that evil, you know, injustice um, and hate and, you know, having to take, we have to take responsibility to create the change that is equitable, to create the change that brings forward a beloved community. And that is not easy. And it's not for the faint of heart. I think you said that earlier. Um, it's not, well, actually, you were talking about the book, The Hospice of Modernity, also not for the faint of heart. Um, so I just, uh, I really wanted to presence that because I, I want people that are in spiritual communities, when you hear the conversation around a beloved community, that it's not this lofty goal. It's not, it's actually, it's, it, it's actually as far from that as you can get. It's being in the trenches. It's being where the suffering is. It's actually, so now we can launch into principle four, um, where he says that Martin Luther King says that, you know, nonviolence holds that, and this is hard to imagine. I had to pause the first time I learned this, but nonviolence holds that unearned voluntary suffering for a just cause can educate and transform people and societies. Read, read, let's read, read that again. That, yeah. That's a lot to take in. It is. Uh, nonviolence holds that unearned voluntary suffering for a just cause can educate and transform people and societies. Mm. Unearned voluntary suffering. So basically... Yeah accepting i'm i'm volunteering to put myself in harm's way yeah for a just cause yes yes and i think i think that's i think so the two pieces there is the idea of yes getting out of our comfort zones and setting aside our privileges and mm -hmm. to be to be clear we all we pretty much all have some point of privilege some your privilege. We talk about our social location a lot here. Uh, you know, I give myself the example of this. Yes, I am. I am black in a country that is, I guess, in the throes of white supremacy. But I'm also a man, so patriarchy, you know, serves me. So my point of privilege is is my maleness. So to so so to so set that aside and the comfort zones, comfort zones that you know that I have found myself in. So that's one part of it, but for a just cause, and the just cause is another thing that really should give us cause for pause. Because sometimes we we want to align ourselves with things that look good, but not are really directed towards creating justice or justice. Right. I think that sort of matters. So we can, I don't know, we can we can find ourselves doing things that look good. But 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 they they themselves don't pull us out of our comfort zone enough. They don't they don't inspire enough voluntary suffering. It's 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 the given our given our time, energy, and support within our comfort zone, within our privilege, and to really shift things, we got to get get out of that. I, I'm I think this principle is probably one of the hardest, uh, certainly for white bodies. To... Yeah, especially the part about accepting violence if necessary. Yes. Yeah, um, that that nonviolence is a willingness to accept violence if necessary, but never inflict it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think one of the biggest, you know, the antichrist of that statement is the white body supremacy cultural norm of right to comfort. Exactly. Um, and to 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 hold the understanding of unearned voluntary suffering for a just cause is am i really willing you know and i and i don't ask the question am i really willing like to guilt somebody i ask the question am i really willing so i have a, a my own self awareness and if my answer is no okay then my answer is no and be honest and what does that mean like what's standing in my way Right. Like, why am I not? Well, one, I, I, I don't like pain, you know, and there's that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's, that's the obvious one, but um, you know, it's the willingness to accept violence if necessary, but not inflict it, you know, to accept 
suffering without retaliation, you know, and without striking back, um, you know, and it's the, the suffering for a cause. It's, you know, doing that is something that's redemptive, right? Mm-hmm. And redemptive, I don't mean necessarily like, um, uh, like repentance kind of redemption, but, but redemptive in the sense of transforming possibilities, right? It's yeah. redemptive in the sense of we, you know, can be redeemed. Maybe not in my lifetime. And, um, but this is a hard one for me. Yeah. When I hear redemptive, I also think of restoration, right? Yes. We, yes. We, That's probably, we, yes. Restore things to a place um, that where there is justice and equity. And then restore is an interesting word because restore implies that it was once that way. And I don't know, it was ever that way in this country. Right. right. So, right. so there's that, there's that piece of it. Um, but yes, that, that, that is a, that is a hard one. Like we are, we are willing, we are more than willing to live for a cause. Are we willing to suffer for a cause? Are we willing to die for a cause? And that's a much more difficult question. And often one that can be answered in theory. And then when it actually comes down to it, hopefully it doesn't, but should we be in that position you know, what will we actually do? And that's what this invitation is, is to go like, yes, we will, we will accept that calling. And let's be clear, many people have died and continue to die in the name of justice, in the name of equity. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean, what it be three years out from January 6th and people, and we mentioned this last week, people, people died on that day defending the Capitol from the attempted insurrection. That was voluntary suffering for a just cause. Democracy is a just cause. It is a just cause. I don't know about suffering. I mean, they were, (laughs) it was their job, (laughs) but, but to your point, exactly. To your point, they could have, they could have left and not face the hordes um, or, and in some cases there were actually some, some of those Capitol police who were letting the folks in because yeah. maybe on some level they agreed with the cause as well. So, so to your point, yes, you're right. You're right. They, 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 they chose, they chose to be in harm's way beyond their paycheck. Um, so, so yeah. Um, there's it, also, that. Uh, it also makes me, I, it, you know, I think about um, when George Floyd was murdered, um, you know, as Derek Chauvin is leaning on his neck and people watching and, and filming and um, not, I'm not being critical, you know, I'm not, I don't know what I would have done. And yet the image in my mind is, you know, to what degree is someone standing there watching, willing to, you know, well, voluntary suffering for a just cause. I mean, if I had stepped in, I don't know that I wouldn't have been murdered also. Exactly. And that's exactly it. Right. We're 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 seeing we people were witnessing a murder in real time by people who were supposed to prevent murders. And the realization is if I intervene, that will be me also. And today is not the day that I want to die. Um, And I'm not mad at that either. Um, If I was standing there, I probably would have stood standing there yelling and filming, but not physically intervening because I knew. I, I know, because I'm seeing a black man being smothered right. to death, that then it would have been two of us being smothered. And well, then what would... That's actually why I think about it, too, because, like, as a, a white woman, you know, knowing that retaliation, you know, on me would look mm-hmm. different than on you as a black man. Exactly. You might so have been escorted... Am I more willing to... <laughs> you would have probably been escorted into the back of the police car versus yeah. thrown down and strangled. <laughs> so, right. you know, yeah. there's, there's that. Which then comes back to, um, um, you know, the, you know, the first principle where he talks about it being aggressive spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Yeah. For me, part of that being aggressive is, well, I can use my position of power. Right. White person. Yes. yes. We talked about that. Where um, acting from our place of privilege. Don't don't be ashamed of our privilege. Actually, use our privilege yeah. Yeah. Um, to 
to work on the issues. Because um, of the those powerful transforming possibilities that he talks about. Exactly, exactly. Uh, let's go to principle five. Nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Um, nonviolent love is spontaneous, unselfish, creative. It resists violence of the spirit and of the body. And again, when we talk about love, we're not necessarily talking about the touchy-feely emotion. Um, right. And it feels good. Um, uh, Cornel West is like, um, justice is love in action. So for me, when we, when we say we're choosing love and we're choosing to embody love and live love and act love, it means we're, we're choosing the path of seeking justice, of, of enacting justice. That's, that's what I hear love as. Yeah, it's not, um, <laughs> again, love is not for the faint of heart it just isn't and i it, think it just isn't and even even if we're just talking about you know in the romantic emotional sense of the word even that is messy and challenging and potential for heartbreak and suffering so so even if we if we even if we just stick to that like traditionally cultural misunderstanding of love yeah even even that itself is not an easy thing and some people just avoid it altogether right uh some people withhold parts of themselves to protect themselves from being hurt by love um as well so so yeah love is love is love doesn't always feel good or let me rephrase that when done well love feels good doing it well is a whole other story <laughs> Well, he says in that principle five that nonviolent love is spontaneous, unselfish, and creative. Yes. Um, so he doesn't talk about love as an emotion. Yes. Um, yes, yes. He doesn't talk about love in terms of romance. Um, one of my favorite, you know, quotes that, that most everybody has heard from Martin Luther King Jr. is about power and love. And he says that power without love is reckless and abusive. Mm -hmm. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, so it, it, it brings me back to, um, um, you know, the, what we were just, so when, when he, it, the, the principle four, what we were just going over is really talking about, um, love and power, you know, as, as needing them both. Um, and in, you know, because power, um, without that, you know, is that power over is that is the violence is reckless is abusive. Um, and love without power is the, the kumbaya and pink frosting thing we always, you know, bring up, but together, like at each at their best, is I think what he's referring to, at least to me, in that last principle that we talked about, the, the unearned voluntary suffering for a just cause. There's power and love in that. Um, let's wrap up with principle six. Nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice. Um, and this, this reminds me of that other thing we know him for saying, which again, he didn't come up with, but popularized and said it so much better. The idea of the, um, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And um, I think history has borne that out in more than one way. And I always remind people, um, yes, the, the world is on fire and we can point to, you know, without thinking too hard a dozen things that are a dozen ways the train's going off the tracks and at the same time when we look at we take that long view of our history and evolution as a human species um mm. he's 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 right things things are bending towards towards justice uh remember it wasn't that long ago, that long ago, we're, we're celebrating the man's birthday in his lifetime. And he would have been, he would have been 95 this year. So in his lifetime, right, he came up in the Jim Crow era where it was legal, very legal and encouraged by law enforcement 
to discriminate against people of color. Right. So, you know, we don't, we don't quote unquote legally have that now, even though it still occurs as we know, but at the same time, you know, we mentioned George Floyd, we can mention another um, number of um, men and women of color who were killed and there was accountability. There was justice their murderers were law enforcement officers who were tried and found guilty and in prison, something that would have never happened in the younger days of Martin Luther King Jr. So have we fixed stuff? No, not by a long shot. Um, but have we bent, have we bent our uh, trajectory a little bit more towards justice? I would say that, yes, we, we are, and we continue to, but the idea is not to like take our foot off the gas and go right. like, you know, oh, look, we convicted the guy who murdered George Floyd. Oh, look, we elected a black president. Uh, you know, oh, look, a South Asian woman is uh, half black, half South Asian woman is our vice president. And a South Asian woman is running for the nomination of the Republican Party. Look how far we've come. Let's not celebrate so <laughs> quickly. Look, in our the all-women city council in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yes, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, let's not. Uh, let's not. You know, what's to say? Sit on our laurels so quickly. Let's not celebrate. Yeah. Uh, we can acknowledge how far we've come, but acknowledge that these things are still anomalies. These are not the norm. And if these things right. are not the norm, right, that means we still live in a system that says these things should not happen. So there's that. And and I can and I can tell you that what'll be interesting is let's say Biden wins this election or even if he doesn't then but especially if he wins and he's president for four more years and then that's his that's that's his run ended the next de facto nominee will be Kamala Harris a black South Asian woman and yeah you're gonna see (laughs) you're gonna see the racism you're gonna see the misogyny like if she is running for office as to be president, yeah, you're going to realize there's still a lot of people who have not come nearly as far as we think they have. I know. And celebrate the, I think we have to play up and celebrate the. Yes. Celebrate the wins, the wins along the way, celebrate the the achievements to show, to show what's possible. Um, as as well but they're not they're not the end go ahead yeah i will say though i mean i know that principle six says that nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice i'm i'm not sure i would word it that way because it almost makes it sound like the universe is a thinking thing right however i do believe that the universe is you know saying on the side of justice is I, i actually think i believe the natural order is justice yes 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 and and well i mean here's we're, we're seeing his theology come through right his yes. theology of yeah. believing yeah. of of god as uh, a being uh, in, yeah uh, whether one a god of justice or whatever. god of justice right so but yes i like i like what you said i think the i think the universe's natural trend is homeostasis is mm. is is equilibrium is equity it's you know self-correction um and we can i mean you can just look to nature to see that we can look to um so so yeah so i i i, I agree in in how you phrased it yes so i just wanted to the the only other thing is and we could put all these things in the show notes but um there as part of um the beloved community and um in um, Martin Luther King Jr., his, um, you know, about how to be love, there is this little, um, this pledge that that one can make. And I know it's, you know, great, more words, something to pledge. And it's, you know, it, it gives me pause to think. And, you know, what am I doing today? Because as you and I always say, it's not about if or when I'm going to do something to prop up a system of oppression, but how. Like, how do I do that each day? And so, you know, he says, just acknowledging three things that violence, oppression, inequity, injustice, and hate in our world has to stop. 
The second thing is I have a responsibility and a role to play in creating social change for a more just, humane, equitable, and peaceful world. And three, the decision is mine, whether to do nothing in this moment or to have the courage to stand up for justice. And I have made my decision. Starting today, I make a personal choice to be love. And then there's there's a little bit more to, to what the pledge is. But, um, and again, we can put those in the show notes, but I wanted to, to just to leave us with that um, about what being love is, because that was really, I think at the, you know, the beloved community and being at the center of, of his work was being love in action, which is not anemic, which is not, you know, it's really that personal choice of standing up for justice and that there is a price to pay. Yeah, and we don't, price. we don't, we don't show up to beloved community. We are the beloved community. We yes. have we have to be it. That's how it happens. Um, so hopefully, um, not just um, at this time while we honor Dr. King um, on his birth date uh, or on the holiday, um, but again, the invitation is to every day yeah. ask ourselves again. You know how how can we be love? Was I love today? How can I be more love tomorrow? Right. Um, and that's, that's what really both transforms us as individuals and as a collective. So yes, let's, let's go be beloved community, not just create it, but be it. In fact, that's how we create it by being it. Yes. Yeah. And, and those principles are not necessarily easy things to do, but I think making a commitment, being aware and at the end of the day, taking a look at where did I not, not to beat yourself up and to notice where I might change things up the next day. Exactly. Um, so thank you for being part of our beloved community here at Project Sanctus. Um, please tell your friends about the podcast with love and justice for all. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. And again, if you have that one friend who still for some reason doesn't know what a podcast is, you know, like some people on Zoom who don't know how to raise their hand, um, you can uh, find us. Get me started. You can find us online at with love and justice for all.podbean.com. Please visit Project Sanctus to leave a donation um, to support the work we're doing. Please sign up and join us in our affinity groups, in our book study. Uh, don't just think about being that change, but really uh, educate, empower, and act to be that beloved community. We'd love it if you do it with us. So visit us at projectsangus.com to see all we got going on. And until we meet again, let's get our holy on. Oh, yeah.